However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you had a great week. And that you also enjoyed the latest episode of PTSM with Dave Meltzer. And man, it amazes me the kind of reaction Dave triggers out there in the professional wrestling universe, good and bad. <laughs> I mean, ooh, the dude generates some heat. But uh, I really, really enjoyed the conversation with Dave, um, especially uh, when he talks about uh, the time during the 80s and the 90s when the WWF was just taken off. And I, I remember vividly people, you know, wondering, you know, who is it that's talking to that guy? Who's, who's talking to Meltzer? Who is it? <laughs> you know? And, uh, well, they wanted to know who it was. And they had their, they had their suspicions. <laughs> but uh, really, I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, I love what he was talking about, um, you know, the, as I mentioned, the mole. And, and it turns out that it was, Really, it was Vince. I mean, Vince was the one who sanctioned all this. He hooked him up with Ed Cohen and, uh, you know, J.J. Dillon. I'm sure there were others, others along the way, but apparently none of that information went out unless Vince knew about it. So there you go. Uh, really, that was fun. I, I, uh, and I would, have, I would have Dave back anytime. I, I want to thank him for coming on. And he's still at it after all these decades and uh, still involved in the MMA world. But anyway, uh, Dave, thank you for being a part of PTSM. And uh, once again, folks, we have a great episode coming your way this week. Uh, you know I love to have people on that you really don't know that much about. Maybe you've never even heard of them. Uh, that is the case this week. But I know there's a few of you out there who do know who he is because he was a big part of the early days in the creation and the expansion of the WWF and Titan Television as we knew it back then. And boy, does he have some great stories to tell. Nelson Swegler was the first production coordinator for Vince McMahon. He's had, he had fancier titles after that. They came later for Nelson. But he was the one who helped put the WWF on the air back in the 80s and 90s and uh, also helped put together those big mega productions that uh, we have become so accustomed to from the WWE. Let's get to our conversation with Nelson Swegler. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, folks, I have often mentioned uh, uh, working with the World Wrestling Federation, of course, the WWE as we know it today. There was a lot of people behind the scenes that made this all happen when it all took off. But you'd be surprised it was not 
that many people. It was a very small unit. We were pretty much a family back in those days. And my guest today was a member of that family, Nelson Swegler. Uh, Nelson, welcome. How are you? I'm pretty well uh, up here in uh, Connecticut where it's uh, uh, chilly, uh, uh-huh. chilly winter uh, afternoon. Yeah, you're still there. But, You've uh, been there the whole time, right? Never moved? Absolutely. Uh-huh. No, the uh, the rest of the family is up here with uh, our old uh, younger daughter and uh-huh. her uh, uh, children. And the idea of moving away from this area uh, for my wife uh, and not being nearby the grandkids, uh, that's that's not going to happen. So, yes, we're still in Stamford, Connecticut. You bet. Okay. So, folks, let me give you a little background on Nelson. Uh, uh, he's uh, been involved in, in uh, production for years and years. But I know people are going to be very interested to learn uh, how in the world you first uh, met up with Vince McMahon and began working for the family. And uh, then we'll get into, uh, you know, what exactly you did. But but tell us the story of how you found your way to the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, back in the very early 1980s, um, I had a, uh, a production uh, facility, headed up a production facility in the Baltimore area. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it had uh, uh, the ability to do duplication and studio work and editing and so forth. Uh, we brought Vince and the uh, WWF uh, in as a client uh, back in about 1980, 81. Um, and uh, we produced and distributed uh, all of the, uh, the product, uh, the syndicated product uh, for the company. Uh, for a number of years, the uh, in those days the the distribution of uh, the uh, the weekly programs was much smaller, uh, and it it basically consisted of what we call bicycling, uh, shipping tapes from uh, TV station to TV station to TV station, etc. Um, and all of the duplication and studio work uh, was uh, done in, in Baltimore. Uh, after a while, uh, a year or so of that, uh, Vince uh, uh, thought, saw the need for creating a, uh, a facility of his own up here in Connecticut and uh, asked me if uh, I would be willing to leave uh, the Baltimore operation and uh, move uh, ultimately uh, the family and the rest of us up to uh, Stamford, Connecticut. And it was a good deal and uh, decided uh, to do that. Uh, and uh, after a while, we built a facility uh, up in, in uh, Stamford, which uh, Sean knows very well, mm-hmm. uh, having worked there for a number of years. Uh, and, uh, uh, at, uh, at that point, uh, we, uh, uh, moved out of the, the Baltimore region, uh, for good. Yeah. So before um, we get into that, Nelson, before we talk about that big move to Stanford, because, uh, you know, we know that the Titan facility and, and Hamilton Avenue, uh, which is, it's still there. It's uh, changed quite a bit, but, uh, I tell me a, a little bit more, cause I don't even know, um, you know, how that Baltimore connection happened, 
because I know Kevin Dunn uh, came from that area and his father was also involved in production. And, um, you know, so what exactly, I mean, once Vince started this going, and, and I have talked about it on my podcast about, you know, his idea about the syndication, you talked about bicycling, which was actually where you would get the tapes, they, they tape these shows, and then uh, they would syndicate them, they would send them to these TV stations, you know, FedEx or whatever they could do to get them there. <laughs> and uh, so what was the beginnings of all of that? I mean, what, what did the, you know, uh, the programming actually look like? Was everything done at the uh, arenas that they did there? Did they always shoot in the same place? Uh, what did it look like then in the, in the early beginnings? In the early, early beginnings uh, for Vince, which uh, really was in the early 1980s, because prior to Vince was Vince Sr., his right. dad, uh, who had uh, the uh, headed up the uh, uh, the company, um, and it wasn't until uh, his dad passed away that, that Vince uh, stepped in and and uh, basically shepherded uh, the uh, the direction of the uh, programming. Uh, in those days, uh, they're basically as far as uh, television recording. Uh, there were it, it took place uh, at uh, two locations uh, up in uh, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, all of the uh, syndicated product came out of of two uh, relatively small towns that were uh, in southern Pennsylvania uh, for uh, quite a few years. Um, those programs uh, were duplicated, and as I said uh, a little while ago, uh, sent out to uh, about 25 stations, uh, basically from Chicago eastward, uh, and that was the uh, syndicated product uh, at that time. It was not uh, national, national in, in basis, and Lord knows it wasn't uh, international in basis. It uh, was strictly about 25 uh, stations, more or less on the East Coast. Uh, and in those days, as uh, you know, uh, various promotions uh, basically oversaw uh, their own territories mm -hmm. um, with uh, uh, a hands-off uh, strategy that uh, the folks who were located, uh, say, in in the uh, in Chicago didn't come uh, uh, into the uh, East Coast territory, which initially would have been uh, Vince's dad and ultimately Vince. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was live and let live. Yeah. Uh, for a long, long time. And it, it, yeah, and as before, uh, you know, like Vince basically went and trampled the territories and um, you know and expanded all across the the country. Uh, but what did production look like uh, at your facility before they made the move? I mean, would, would they bring wrestlers in? Uh, did they do the uh, green screen stuff back then? What what did uh, production look like besides what we know of uh, even then of them shooting these yeah. matches? Uh, again, the matches came out of uh, two towns in southern Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, the uh, the promotional materials and so forth uh, would have been uh, studio uh, oriented. Yeah. Um, initially, uh, even the studio work was being done up in uh, southern Pennsylvania, really? uh, in Allentown, Allentown area. And then, uh, as I said, we 
we brought uh, Vince and uh, uh, the company in as a client uh, to the production facility in Baltimore. Hmm. And that was helped out by a fellow by the name of Dennis Dunn, uh, who had been overseeing the production for uh, a number of years um, when it was uh, still small, of uh, 20-some markets, something of that sort. Um, and uh, Dennis's son, Kevin, uh, Kevin Dunn, who's still with the company. Yeah, does um, he do something for them still? I've I've heard the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's yeah, funny Kevin though, Nelson. It's funny you, you mentioned. On. Yeah, but you mentioned Kevin, and um, I, when he was brought in, what, what did he do? I mean, did we was he did he come in after you had already started with with the WWF, or when did Kevin arrive? Or he had, Kevin his, was was there. Uh, he was a student, a uh, college student, uh -huh. um, when his father was uh, connected with the uh, company. And when uh, they did uh, the, uh, the actual uh, uh, matches and so forth up in southern Pennsylvania, Allentown and Hamburg were the two markets that they used, mm -hmm. um, that uh, Kevin would go up... Uh, uh, help production, maybe run a camera, or what have you, uh, help his dad. Uh, it was very much a small family kind of operation back in those days. Um, and uh, because one of the fellows who worked on the, on the, on the uh, uh, production uh, was as director, um, uh, also had a position at um, a uh, public broadcasting station in the mm -hmm. Allentown uh, area, um, that uh, certain uh, functions, certain production, and so forth, uh, were actually uh, being uh, created there. Uh, at the, uh, and this is again before we we brought in uh, WWF into the Baltimore area uh, at uh, at our facility. Yeah. So. It was very small yeah. uh, at at that time. It's really interesting too, and I think you you mentioned the, uh, the individual who was a director. Uh, I think you're talking about Kerwin, uh, Silfies, right? Kerwin Silfies, yeah. And, and folks, still, still yeah, with the company, yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to say is that um, it really did have humble beginnings in a sense of uh, you know the people that worked there. They had like these key people, uh, you know, Kevin who um, had been there for a couple of years. I got, I got there in 88, so the facility was, had already been built. But it's amazing um, that after all these years, and we, you know how many years we're talking here, and Kerwin is still a, a, a director and has done, God, probably at this point, thousands of broadcasts. And, of course, of course Kevin is still there. Uh, Chris Chambers uh, came in uh, about the time that uh, you know I was leaving there, but he's still been with the company and the creative part of it. But there, mm -hmm. but it really was amazing. I mean, that we were this. It was this community, and we all, uh, you know, it wasn't we were hanging out every night, but we had and they had functions all the time, and um, it, it was a really a special time in a sense that before it just became this gigantic machine. That everybody knew each other, even in promotions. You know, we had the guy, you know, Basil Devito, and uh, you know, everybody was. You know, they didn't have the tower yet, but uh, it, it's amazing that they had this very tight unit of people that Vince, uh, that were very loyal to Vince and um, remained with him for many years. I don't think there were probably the entire management team 
mm-hmm. um, at the point that I uh, relocated and uh, accepted Vince's uh, invitation to come up and join the company, I don't think there were more than about maybe 25 or 30 of us. Uh, and that included uh, folks in the warehouse yeah. area yeah. Uh, who were working on uh, merchandise and so forth. Mm-hmm. It was very small. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, but they did a lot so, in uh, Baltimore. I remember the, I remember the uh, hearing the stories. But um, I guess the company started growing leaps and bounds after WrestleMania 1. Um, did you, I, I, I assume that you were a part of putting that together as well. So before we really get to when the things took off, I mean, when did when did you see it, and uh, and what was your job at the time? Uh, I began the television division. Yeah. Uh, there there wasn't a television division, uh, and uh, there were uh, just two of us: uh, myself and uh, my assistant. Gail Buchanan, mm-hmm. uh, who is, I think, still with the company. I'm yeah. not 100% sure. Yeah. Uh, but it was just Gail and myself uh, that began television uh, <laughs> uh, and actually had um, uh, oversight of, uh, of the product, uh, being sure that the syndicated products got out to the stations and, and uh, the promotional materials and so forth. Uh, very small operation, very small. The company saw itself not as a uh, not as a television uh, entity. It saw itself as a wrestling entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, later on, I can tell you a story about uh, when I first moved up to uh, the uh, Stanford uh, offices and so forth. Um, <laughs> Or maybe I can tell you right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, the, um, I should say that when I moved away and Vince uh, hired me away from my own company, uh, I didn't have a place to live and uh, actually moved in with Vince and Linda uh, at their home. <laughs> really? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> It's true. And they weren't uh, living in the mansion they, at the time, right? They had a, a fairly good house, yeah. which was uh, rented. Right. Yeah. Um, no, they hadn't uh, moved into the, the very large uh, place that they have now yeah. in, in uh, Greenwich. Yeah. Uh, but I had no place to live up there because my family and uh, children and so forth were down in the Baltimore area. Yeah. So uh, Vincent uh, got the spare room, so I moved in with Vince and the kids and Linda. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, until I was able to, uh, find a place to rent and, and, uh, uh get, uh, set up there. And, um, one of the early meetings up in, uh, in Connecticut with Vince and Linda, um, I had mentioned that the, uh, the program format had, um, within it uh, a number of commercial breaks some of which because again this was a syndicated product um unlike uh, a national distribution um various stations showing the shows on various days of the week and so forth mm-hmm. but we had uh, we owned a certain amount of of uh, commercial time within the show it was an hour show 
and we had generally two, three, sometimes four minutes of commercial time within the show. It's called bartering a show. Um, and uh, uh, we uh, we could do with what we wanted with that. Uh, most folks in that position would uh, resell the time uh, to, to various advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this gives you an, an insight into what the how the company was thinking, because uh, at this meeting with Vince Lind and myself, um, I mentioned that we had uh, several minutes of commercial barter time within uh, the shows in our 20-some markets around the country, mm-hmm. and but we weren't doing anything with it. Uh, the the various stations, if, if we didn't supply advertising uh, materials, uh, and weren't selling our time to advertisers. It reverted to the comp- to the stations. Yeah. Um, and I said to Vince and Linda, "Look, you've got twenty some markets with time that you're not doing anything with. I think I can find uh, advertisers to fill that those spaces and generate some income for for the company." And the response from Vince was. Uh, don't uh, don't worry about that because we're not in the television business. We're in the wrestling business, and <laughs> we really don't care about those minutes. Uh, right. Now, wow, that's an honest to god true story. We're in the wrestling business with live events uh, around the country, um, and. Uh, uh, it's, uh, we're not really concerned with the advertising time within these shows. Uh, so, uh, how things have changed. Yeah. Uh, just a bit <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. so tell me about the, the first really big event. I mean, uh, they did other events before WrestleMania, but when did it start getting to where you first thought, boy, this is not your, uh, your average wrestling show and we go to these little small places and we have to put you know the crowd on one side to make sure they're in the shots when did you really start seeing it just blow up well there were a couple of things uh there was a show in chicago uh which we had some interesting live distribution um and uh, uh with uh um uh, certain uh, uh, gimmicks that were that were uh, promotional in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it had some sort of pay per view uh, characteristics, if my memory is correct, mm-hmm. uh, but fairly small. But it was followed up uh, soon thereafter with WrestleMania One mm-hmm. um, at the Garden. Uh, so. That was the a combination of uh, pay-per-view and, uh, of course, the live events and so forth, the live audience at the Garden. Um, and uh, it had incredible response. I mean, it was unbelievable uh, to be in the, in the middle of that and producing uh, uh, WrestleMania 1, uh, which, you know, pre- proceeds to this day. But it really, it was that... Plus, Saturday night's main event on NBC that really started changing the nature of the show. Um, 
because Vince soon concluded that uh, the the distribution of the programming needed to be national in, in basis. Uh, it had to uh, go coast to coast. Um, and that was uh, against the the tradition in the business where there were a number of promoters around the country and it was live and let live and you don't uh, uh, go into somebody else's territory. And the folks at Houston left the folks in Milwaukee uh, and the folks in Chicago and New York all uh, do their thing within their territories. Uh, and by the time we had gotten into the WrestleMania one era, uh, the nature of, of the beast had started to change. And uh, not only uh, doing uh, larger, uh, more wide-scale distribution, but also hiring wrestlers away from various promotions around the country. Uh, Hulk Hogan uh, came uh, out of, uh, uh, and Jesse the Body uh, came out of uh, the uh, Minnesota uh, territory of Ern Ganya, um, and and so forth. That's uh, that uh, that change in the in the structure of the of the the business world uh, was uh, really dramatic uh, in those days. Uh, because uh, wrestlers were being imported uh, uh, from place from uh, pr- promotions coast to coast uh, to uh, staff the uh, WWF uh, in those days. Yeah, and, and Nelson, and you know, on that grand scale, because that's what they did. They went after the best talent out there. But as far as a, a production, from your your your, your uh, viewpoint and your expertise, um, Vince wanted it all to look completely different than what people were used to seeing. And when you did, and we'll just, let's just use WrestleMania one as an example about what went into putting that show together from, uh, you know, and I don't know if it was one of the biggest productions you were ever involved in, but at the time it had to be just massive. Um, you know, everything from, you know, how they dressed the place up, how you lit the place. Uh, how, when did that, you know, really start to come together and tell me about what kind of a project that was. Well, the the uh, the primary uh, uh, task was to um, uh, get material, background material on the uh, the guest uh, talent that were involved in that show. You had all sorts of folks from all sorts of, uh, of the entertainment uh, uh, world. Liberace, for example, was in WrestleMania one, um, and uh, a number of folks that you wouldn't think of as being having any connection to wrestling at all. Um, it meant that we had to go uh, everywhere uh, getting footage. Uh, promotional footage on uh, all of these folks uh, that were coming in as a part of WrestleMania One. Um, that was a a major difference in the alignment of uh, what a wrestling show should be. A wrestling show traditionally was uh, so many matches uh, with so many wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's all that it was. The idea of having 
uh, all sorts of entertainment, what was would be considered traditional entertainment uh, within the body of a wrestling show, that was different. Mm. Uh, and uh, the the uh, the folks, uh, the talent, and so forth came from everywhere uh, for that show. Uh, came out of out of traditional um, uh, showbiz. It came out of, of adver- the advertising world um, and uh, gave it a really different uh, flavor to it. Um, it, uh, it was no longer, uh, you know, 10 matches of, of pro wrestling, um, pretty much uh, looking uh, as it had traditionally for years. There'd be so many matches with a... a uh, a uh, championship match and a tag team match and so forth and so on. And uh, Vince uh, upped the ante uh, with that and bringing in uh, folks from uh, uh, the entertainment world and, and elsewhere uh, to be a part of, of uh, that show. Do you remember uh, particularly, that- Nelson, do you remember particularly during that time, I mean, when you were getting the, the Madison Square Garden ready, how did you guys, you know, come up with ideas on how you were going to make that place look and uh, did they bring in lighting? It really, uh, no, it really didn't. Huh? The, the garden, the garden for WrestleMania one was, was traditionally lit and traditionally staged huh. and so forth. Uh, what went on within the ring uh, was uh, what was new, huh. uh, but really the, uh, the, the, the look of the place uh, was very traditional. I mean, if I had didn't know what was going to happen in, in WrestleMania one, uh, if you just walked in to take your seat, it looked like a regular uh, wrestling event that had been going on for years and years. Um, but it was, as far as the, the, uh, uh, the first WrestleMania, it was uh, the actual talent, uh, the, the, personnel and so forth who were involved in that, uh, that really made a difference. It really wasn't until the company got involved with NBC that the, the nature of, of the way we, we look, lit and staged and so forth uh, changed. Um, and that, uh, that was partially due to a fellow named of Dick Ebersole. Yeah. Uh, who was uh, from NBC and uh, had just come out of of heading up Saturday night's uh, uh, SNL mm-hmm. um, and uh, came in to, uh, to to work with Vince uh, and uh, create this uh, four or five uh, event package uh, with NBC that replaced SNL. Um, uh, as I said, about five times a year yeah. uh, to great success. Yeah. And that changed the flavor of uh, the, the showbiz act, uh, look of it even more um, away from what traditional wrestling had been. Uh, to the extent, for example, there were backstage uh, pieces of uh, staging and so forth right. uh, that... Uh, uh, were uh, with scenery and so forth. That that wasn't typical of wrestling at all. Um, and 
it uh, it just took a while for for all of that to evolve into what it is nowadays. Yeah, and I remember, and, and uh, even if you watch a few of those uh, those events during that period of time, within a couple of years, even not even, but how the production team came together, I, and I've looked at a few of them, and if you watch them back to back, Nelson, you can see a major difference to where uh, you know when we they had a, the first couple of those pay per view events, they uh, it, you know the arena was very dark looking. Uh, the center of the focus was on, you know, the ring. They didn't really light the audience, which was something that became a big part of what the, the WWF product looked like. And also just the team that was, you know, on those cameras. And of course, uh, you know, Kerwin directing and Kevin, you know, involved as well. And just seeing the difference, it took a while for them to become a team like that because they were, you know, they had all these cameras. You know, they, they missed things at the beginning. Some would be blocking. They had to realize, you know, the guys were up on the apron or what. But, um, you know, how did that evolve? Did you remember uh, the, the beginnings of that and uh, how it came together? Well, keep in mind, in the early days, it was a, um, when we were still shooting up in uh, southern Pennsylvania and Allentown and yeah. Hamburg and the like, um, it was a very small production. I mean, it was about three or four cameras at most. Uh, there was little or no pre-produced material, uh, feature pieces. Uh, there were uh, interviews uh, staged uh, with uh, folks that were uh, in, uh, in that event uh, or were coming to a particular town. And those interviews were mainly done by Vince. He was on camera next to the ring uh, with a, what's called a single camera shot of uh, uh, standing there talking to uh, one wrestler or another. Um, it was that simple uh, in those days. Uh, the idea of big production values and uh, uh, elaborate scenery and uh, staging and so forth, that came much, much later. Uh, and my personal belief is it it came more quickly because of Saturday Night's Main Event, um, the the kind of, of production values and so forth that came out of that show, of producing a show uh, for uh, a major uh, national network, NBC, uh, the the needs were really different than than what had uh, traditionally been the look or the flavor of of uh, the shows. And the pay-per-views, the uh, uh, the WrestleManias and the the other pay-per-views that evolved uh, moved moved the uh, uh, the look of the show more and more uh, to a more and more elaborate uh, and uh, uh, produced uh, quality to it. Uh, it's not just. Uh, a, a number of, of wrestling matches for the evening, and that's that. Uh, it, it became much more uh, involved and also much more expensive. Um, so yeah. that yeah, they spent a lot of money. That, that that also evolved uh, with uh, in, in parallel with the fact that the company moved away from traditional. TV stations in various markets uh, to moving to cable television. 
where it is mainly today, although they have an internet uh, uh, life. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the main product, uh, uh, RAW, is still on the USA Net, uh, a national cable company. So the whole nature of, of the business has, has changed uh, from uh, a syndicated product of taking uh, videotape shows and, and uh, transporting them from market to market to market um, uh, to uh, doing live programming uh, on a national basis. And when you, when you do that, when you make that change, uh, the whole concept of what the show should look like and so forth. And it, it changed, uh, I think, um, uh, mainly uh, to what could be done. If you take a look at Raw, for example, on Monday nights on uh, USA Net, that show is uh, fairly straightforward by modern standards. Um, there are not a, not a lot of pre-produced materials and so forth that uh, you saw in the uh, 1980s. Um, uh, that, uh, that's a, that's a, it's, it's sort of, in the, some sense, it's reverted to uh, an earlier form, um, which I'm not sure is, is uh, uh, a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. But I, well, you know, it, Nelson, it, I remember, um, you know, when I came in, which was 88, and I was part of that, uh, you know, that surge of people they brought in from the outside. I had not come from a wrestling background. And um, that, you know, it wasn't just talent. It was also, I mean, a lot of production people because Vince realized that uh, he had to up the game. He had to find people that were skilled at that. And he brought in people from, you know, with network level experience. Uh, when did that happen to uh, where he, you know, you saw that happen? Did, did you make the suggestion saying to Vince, you know, we got to get people that really know what they're doing and they may not necessarily be wrestling people? Well, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, the, uh, the company tried at various times bringing in uh, sports folks. Uh, from major networks, uh, NBC among them, and uh, elsewhere. Uh, and sometimes it, it was a good fit, and sometimes not, because keep in mind that, that wrestling is uh, uh, not straight sports television. It's sports entertainment. And uh, that entertainment side of it, if you're not uh, experienced in how that works, how you uh, shoot it, how you produce it, how you light it, et cetera, um, gives it a really different flavor. So some, some individuals who have, were, that were brought in straight away from uh, sports uh, television, network sports television, some of them just, it was not a good fit. Yeah, well, uh, I think one example right there is, would be John Filippelli, who, you know, he's done all these things in network sports television, and uh, yeah. it just didn't work with with, uh, with the World Wrestling Federation, or the WWE, I should say. Right. Uh, it's it just, uh, by, the, by the nature of it, if you're, if you're not willing to uh, have that willing suspension of disbelief that we all talk about... Um, 
it's it's not uh, traditional sports TV, and it can't be. It never will be. Um, it it has it has that um, fantasy uh, aspect to it uh, that uh, uh, is is what makes wrestling attractive to an awful lot of folks. Yeah, you know, I so, want to get into I want to uh, get into uh, now that I got you with the but we've kind of moved along here, but. Uh, um, there was at one point where they really production was just crazy. I mean, they started doing these vignettes and they did, uh, you know, these, uh, the, the, uh, albums came out. Um, can you tell me a few stories about some of the, the wildest shoots that you were involved uh, in and putting together? Um, because I know you got some very unusual requests along the way and uh, you could probably fill a couple of hours with them, but, uh, can you give me a few off the top of your head that, that, that really are, are vivid in your mind? Well, some of them were part and parcel of uh, WrestleManias, mm-hmm. um, where we had uh, we were staging live uh, elements and so forth. I can give you one. Uh, I'm not sure which WrestleMania it was. It had to be six or seven up at uh, uh, in Toronto at uh, um, whatever year that was um, in the late uh, late eighties. Because one of one of the guests in the show uh, was Steve Allen, who was well known to uh, TV uh, fans and so forth. A well known guy. We had gone to Los Angeles to his facility to shoot uh, promotional pieces and so forth. But uh, he uh, was going to be a live uh, uh, contributor in uh, at at Toronto. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, Steve came in, did a backstage piece with, uh, Nikolai, Nikolai yeah. Volkov <laughs> and the Sheik. I love that. Uh, bit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, a, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that you don't see anymore. Yeah. On, a, uh, yeah, you had WWE. a piano, you had a piano in the shower or the locker room or what, right? It was in the shower. Well, we did. You have a. You have a very good memory, um, and that's exactly right. We put uh, Nikolai and Nikki and the Sheik uh, around uh, a piano with Steve playing in a shower. I mean, the shower was not turned on. Uh, that's where it was staged. And uh, Steve wanted to see uh, uh, what the actual show looked like from the uh, announce booth they were commentators which was gorilla and uh, Bobby Heenan and uh, which was way at the top of, of uh, that that arena and uh, Steve who has a huge and a long running uh, uh, success story in in, uh, in the entertainment world was just not prepared for that size of, uh, of uh, an audience of 50, 60,000 people. Uh, and I remember taking him up to the booth with uh, Gorilla and Bobby uh, doing their commentary and so forth. And uh, he walked in on them and joined them. And when he, he entered the booth, at, uh, I don't know how many stories up this thing was, overseeing the entire uh, arena, uh, there was this gasp from Steve 
who just wasn't wasn't prepared for that. Uh, it was a, a different kind of of modality for him, uh, wow. which really surprised me yeah. because. Well, he'd been an audience in front had, of audience his whole life. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly yeah. so. Exactly. Someone who's whose uh, you know showbiz career is generations long, and yet uh, when he he first saw all of those folks laid out in front of uh, 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 the uh, booth, mm-hmm. uh, there was this gasp uh, from Steve, <laughs> oh. uh, which is you know uh, yeah. It's 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 some it's a different scale of of uh, uh, product, I think more than anything else that that uh, uh, it's it's very effective uh, to folks who are used to playing maybe before a few thousand people right. and now it's 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 uh, fifty thousand and so on. But what uh, were uh, what were some yeah. of the most uh, elaborate uh, productions that you remember having to put together? Uh, probably WrestleMania three. WrestleMania three was at uh, the Pontiac Silverdome. Oh yeah, uh, and that was the. I think I think it was WrestleMania three. I believe it was. Um, it uh, had ninety thousand folks uh, in their seats, uh, and the the main event, of course, was. Uh, uh, the giant yep. uh, Andre versus Hulkster, um, and uh, the staging of that, with since it's a a huge building, um, that uh, that took a lot of doing, mainly because of just the size and scale of it. Uh, we were we were driving folks to the ring in the right. scissor lift. Yeah, uh, if you recall that. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, huge television screens and so forth uh, that uh, help the audience actually see. When you're that, when you're in a building that big and uh, that far away, uh, it uh, you need a little bit of, of help uh, visually and mm-hmm. so forth. And we did that. We did the same thing when we started doing uh, shoots overseas. Uh, we did a a shoot at uh, Wembley. Uh, stadium in yeah. uh, in London area. SummerSlam is that what you're talking and, about? Uh, yeah, Night. and uh, it had had to do had the same kind of effect. We had to mm-hmm. uh, create a way of having audiences get a more intimate look at the uh, uh, at what was going on in the ring uh, for for these shows. Um, and therefore we had huge screens and so forth brought in, which I, I, they do this very day when you get, uh, these, uh, very large stadiums and so forth. Um, that was a really, that was an interesting shoot because all of the, uh, support, uh, system, uh, that all of these screens were, uh, being, uh, at uh, about 50 feet up in the air and so forth. All of that had to come over on barges uh, from the, I think Belgium, I believe. So if you can picture all of this stuff being wow. <laughs> brought over yeah. across the English Channel uh, to help build what we were staging at uh, Wembley, um, it uh, and it sold out. That that building sold out. 
in in less than one day. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely remarkable. Uh, but uh, that's that's the nature of of uh, something that's uh, that hot and that successful at that point in time. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing. Now, um, do you, can you recall any ill-advised or uh, productions that just didn't work that were just uh, probably sounded good when they were putting it together, but then uh, when it actually happened, it was it was a disaster. Yeah, the one that I remember most um, was um, one of the Saturday Night's main events. Um, Gene Okerlund uh, was doing an interview with uh, one of the one of the boys, and I'm forgotten which one. Uh, and it was uh, pre pre taped, pre produced before it actually needed to go on air. And there was uh, in the the piece of scenery that uh, we were using for Gene's interview area, uh, there was something hanging behind him. And in the uh, the actual shoot, um, uh, it fell down on camera. Yes. Again, it I remember not, it well. It was not. <laughs> it, was, it was not live. Yeah. Thank no. Nope. Uh, however, <laughs> uh, we we got the scenic folks back in, and they they did uh, repair and so forth. And Gene and and uh, the wrestler did their interview, and it was fine and so forth. What wasn't fine, however was the uh, the technician who is in the videotape area of the big production trucks uh, had saved the first take where things fell apart, thinking that, well, at the Christmas party, we'll, we'll have this really fun footage and Gene Okerlund losing it a bit uh, and, and not being careful with his language on air. Um, and I won't go any further than that. Well, it's the famous uh, we'll effort. Uh, it's the famous effort yes. uh, <laughs> when it fell down. Yes. So I'll take it from, and oh. you can take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> any event, um, uh, the technician in the truck uh, decided to save the footage rather yeah. than what we call burning it, yeah. uh, just for safety's sake. And needless to say, when it came time in that part of the show uh, to play back, that particular interview with the wrestler, he got the one where the scenery fell apart, <laughs> and that's when it went out and the bad language uh, yeah. on on air. Um, I happened to be the the commentators for that show uh, were uh, Vince and Jesse Jesse the Bod, yeah, uh, and I happened to be standing next to them at that moment. And they're watching Gene uh, uh, with uh, uh, language that, that shouldn't have gone out over the air. And uh, I was thinking to myself, I wonder how our commentators are going to cover that. <laughs> and it was, it was Jesse who really came up with uh, some language and so forth, uh, some comments to, uh, to cover uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the momentary problem. So yeah, uh, I remember it well. Yeah, and that's the thing. <laughs> that the way it went out, though, is that people didn't realize that we taped those, so they thought that he had done that live, right. 
<laughs> and it yes. was uh, yes. not revealed too much later. I imagine, I think the policy changed after that about uh, saving outtakes. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, any, any experienced operator in videotape knows yeah. that if you've got a take that uh, is is troubling, yeah. I'll put it that way, yeah. uh, you, you burn it. You, you, make you just sure you get rid of it. it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, somebody is going to cue up the wrong tape, and you'll get uh, that effect of uh, some language going out over air that uh, ought not to. So, any others uh, that come to mind that uh, you recall the you know these elaborate because yeah, we well, did some what, elaborate productions. One that didn't um, uh, happen, uh, I, I remember very clearly because we were up in. Uh, Toronto uh, for uh, that um, that same uh, I think it was WrestleMania I believe it was mm-hmm. uh, because uh, uh, we had uh, a, f- a fair amount of, of business uh, uh, pre-taped and so forth and so on um, and what I knew going into that show um, it was the very first show at uh help me out here what's what's the it's a different name nowadays up in toronto uh the name of that of that uh venue um it's not it's not, not coming the to mind what it is. you're not talking about the skydome or uh what's it called now uh where the uh toronto uh baseball team plays i don't know well what what whatever <laughs> um the there was a a, a good possibility this is a, a big event and if us. you're talking about the uh, blue jays it's a, the it's the rogers center now but i don't that's the not the same center. yeah no it wasn't called that in yeah, yeah. Days. Okay. Um, uh, but you're you're exactly uh referring to what i was uh, going for, but the there was a big strike uh, in uh, Toronto that same day among uh, folks who were running the power generation stations for the city, and there was a finite possibility. I'm not even sure you're aware of this. Uh, there was a finite possibility that we would have lost power. Uh, to the to the uh, venue, uh, and uh, we would have had to cancel the event or stop it and get the audience out of there for safety's sake, obviously. Uh, and I knew this uh, going in that the uh, the management from the building had said uh, our our power workers in Toronto uh, are going to do a brownout and so forth, or they start thinking about it. So there's a, there's a good chance that somewhere during WrestleMania or whatever, six or so, uh, that uh, we'll lose power, or it'll, uh, it'll be so reduced that uh, we'll have to stop the event and get the audience, for safety's sake, out of here. Okay? It didn't happen, thank God. Uh, the, it, uh, we never lost power or lost most of it and so forth. I made the mistake. This is just a personal thing here. I made the mistake 
of after the event of telling Vince that, well, we got lucky because we we didn't lose power uh, or had a, had a brownout and so forth uh, because of the uh, the workers that were going on strike and so forth. And Vince, in typical Vince fashion, says, why don't you tell me this? <laughs> and my response to him was, what would you have done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Known, like, yeah. <laughs> what, what would you possibly have done that if you had known this going in yeah. uh, and would have worried about it over during the entire show that it was a possibility? I said there was no real good reason to tell you about this because it was out of our hands. Um, that's, uh, uh, you have to be careful what, what you say and what you don't say in this business. Yeah. So. It, it must have been uh, an incredible ride during that period of time for you, uh, Nelson. You've done a lot of stuff in your career in, in uh, television production, but uh, that period of time just had to be an incredible time in your life well it was incredible because of the amount of travel yeah. uh, that we were all doing yeah. i mean many of us were in the air uh four or five days a week yeah. i on remember one time basis. i think i was riding with you and you had i can't remember like you had this stack of receipts it must have been eight inches thick because i mean <laughs> you were never you know you were you were uh, did you ever sleep in your bed <laughs> really didn't see I mean, you and the, the, the kids didn't see you for a few years i was i was talking about the um the wembley uh shoot yeah uh and uh the the what we call a site survey yeah. uh for that where we go and and talk to the management of the building and take a look at uh, how uh we should uh, set it up and so forth for wrestling um uh, Vince called and said, uh, "What do you? This was Friday afternoon. What are you doing this evening?" And I said, "I don't think uh, very much." And he said, uh, "Are you available to fly to London this evening?" This was Friday afternoon. We were going to get on a plane, go overseas uh, that night, and uh, those folks who have. Uh, done that kind of uh, international travel, know yeah. that you get in the next morning. We got in the next morning, went to Wembley Stadium, had a meeting, went back to Heathrow Airport, and flew back the next day. Yeah. Uh, I don't advise that for anybody. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it takes that's, its toll. That's, that's, that's not, it does take its yeah. toll. Yeah. Um, and you can only do so many of those um uh within a period of years where it just gets to be really uh wearing uh after a while i don't miss that i yeah. mean the the wrestling operation uh, mlw uh, major league wrestling that i'm connected with now uh there's travel but not at that extent yeah uh where you're on the go uh constantly i mean you're you know this i mean you you've lived it as well yeah it's amazing um before i let you go because i said i'd keep you for an hour uh, nelson but um i want to talk about your relationship you were close with uh gina morella everybody knows uh, uh as gorilla monsoon and 
um, talk about that mm-hmm. relationship that you had with him, and then um, uh, then we'll talk about uh, something special that we all did together when um, right after I left the the WWF. But um, talk about oh, that relationship God, you had with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. But t- talk uh, about Gino. Do we have to get to that? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Gorilla was uh, a fascinating fellow um, and uh, uh, incredibly bright uh, and incredibly imaginative. Um, He and initially Jesse and then later uh, Gorilla with Bobby Heenan uh, uh, were the hosts of uh, a, uh, uh, a program that we call a wraparound format which is basically uh, the host sitting on camera and uh, uh, introducing uh, pre-recorded uh, wrestling uh, footage from various and sundry locations. Uh, and it was a very successful uh, match, between, particularly between uh, Heenan and Gorill, uh, because of uh, these, these two guys were as fast as could be. I mean, there was... Uh, a, a kind of, of uh, spontaneity that was unbelievable with these guys. None of it was written down. They knew what match was uh, coming up, obviously, that they had to cue to. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, the, the spontaneous nature of what they did, yeah. and we did a lot of, of uh, uh, pre-recorded uh, location footage, yeah. Uh, to augment that particular show, yeah. some of which was shot, as you know, in uh, in Old Tucson. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, the location uh, feature, little feature pieces that we did for that show, um, were just incredibly imaginative. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, spontaneous. We were. We were out, um, I've forgotten what, what location it was, but we were, we were pitching a, uh, uh, Heenan was supposed to have been training uh, the giant uh, uh, at a, a secret location. <laughs> Maybe you remember yeah. what show that was. I don't. Uh, but we decided to put uh, Gorilla and Bobby uh, in a fairly dense jungle, uh, looking into <laughs> forest area. I remember this. And with, with, with a TV crew right. and the gorilla and, and, and Bobby are, uh, gorilla is looking for the secret yeah. training camp yeah. of Andre. Uh, that was the deal. Um, and, uh, we happen to have a whole bunch of bananas for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, we laid out a trail of banana peels, and the gorilla was tracking uh, the banana peels to get to the secret training location of Andre, along with with Bobby (laughs) Enos. And at at some point, uh, Heenan says to to the gorilla, uh, you're you're following these. I'm paraphrasing here. You're following these uh, this this trail of banana peels. Uh, how do you know uh, that uh, 
they're they're the correct banana peels. How do you know they're your banana peels? And the gorilla looks at him and says, "Well, a gorilla always knows his own banana peels." <laughs> I mean, it's it just yeah. this stuff that went went on between these two guys yeah. uh, is is to be honest with you, what I miss today. Yeah. Uh, you you just don't see anything close to that yeah. uh, in in the current uh, uh, product uh, out there that's uh, professional wrestling. It just uh, uh, it was incredibly uh, spontaneous, uh, and we did so many of them uh, over the years yeah. uh, that um, uh, there and most of them wound up being on YouTube. Oh yeah, some were, reason, yeah I don't oh, are you kidding? They were just they were great, um, and and of course you're, you're talking about the connection to uh, prime time. Wrestling, which of course this, this yes. uh, podcast yes. is, is uh, named in, uh, we honor that program. But but you're right, you know, like Bobby and Gorilla, I, I you know, just they were a natural comedy team. I mean, like Laurel and Hardy or Abbott and Costello. I mean, they just work together, you know. And uh, I yeah. I love those. I love the stuff they did in the studio, which was always great. You know, Bobby on the phone and doing all his bits. But when you would take them on location. And some of those bits that yes. they did, like Old Tucson, which is out here in Arizona, and the one, you know, where, yeah. and you guys went all out. Uh, it, you know, Bobby gets blown up and he's coming and he's smoking with the, you know, the dynamite in his hand. And, uh, you, you tell a story that when you came back and told Vince, I mean, because it was great stuff, but <laughs> you spent a few bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we did indeed spend a few bucks, but you, you've got, uh, the the nature of of the relationship between these two guys yeah. was so close. Magic. Um, we were we were doing a promotional shoot uh, in uh, Atlantic City because mm -hmm. one we did two WrestleManias down there. I think yeah. uh, four four and five. I think we're we're at uh, Atlantic City at the conventions, the old convention center, mm -hmm. and we were doing promotional pieces. Uh, and the idea uh, was to stage the gorilla at a blackjack table. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and the folks that ran the casino, uh, I think probably one of the Trump properties, but I'm, I'm, uh, said, you can't, we can't let you play, uh, blackjack, uh, with, we just can't stage it. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you have to do it for real with real money. Huh. Uh, well, it turned out that the gorilla was a really pretty good gambler. Oh yeah, and, uh, always, pretty always good. Had uh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> always had a a uh, a fair amount of dollars with him. And <laughs> any yeah, time. that roll. Yeah, he carried <laughs> a roll around with him. You know, yeah, he, he did indeed. Yeah. Um, and so we were. We were there with our, our TV crew and Bobby, and they did their, their piece of business. And as we're shooting, and both Bobby and Gorilla are on camera, and Gorilla is playing blackjack, for real, with his money. Um, the, we ended the piece, which only probably took uh, five minutes or thereabouts to, to shoot. didn't take very long. Um, and Gorilla winds up with a stack of money that he has won. He somehow managed 
to while he's he's on camera, playing to the camera and getting his lines right and so forth, promoting uh, the WrestleMania event, et cetera, et cetera. He winds up in somewhere around 10 minutes. Uh, he winds up with $11,000. True story. I'm going to stick up. Yeah, I remember $11,000. And I looked at him. I said, uh, Bob, uh, you know, I was overseeing this shoot. Don't you think he should share a little Spread bit? Spread the wealth a little? Of this 11000 <laughs> Yeah. And he said, are you out of your, yeah, are right. you out of your mind? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, God. He was great. Uh, that's that, that's the, the gorilla. Uh, yeah. Sorely missed. Yeah. And oh, God. No to, kidding. To this day, to this day, um, there is a, a location when you're doing a, a TV shoot for wrestling, there's a position that uh, backstage control position that's called the gorilla position. Yeah, in honor of Gorilla Monster. Well, Nelson, really, it has been really fun talking with you, and I'm glad we caught up after all these years. I got a chance to thank you for uh, that opportunity, and I, and we had a good time working together. And I, I'm telling you, I was always just fascinated because no matter how insane it was, the request that they gave you, or you know, they wanted you to do this or get us this, we need four ostriches, or what, you just you never you, you were always the same. Like, okay, we'll see what we can do, and and you did it, and I, uh, you know, you you were just it was fun uh, that whole period of time. But I was always amazed by it. I just like how does he do this? How does he pull this stuff off? <laughs> and you did. Every, yeah, every time. I, uh, I recall, and uh, it uh, it was sometimes a challenge, God knows, uh, for uh, uh, Vince's, uh, uh, and mainly from Vince, uh, sometimes uh, last-minute uh, requests. And you have to keep in mind that McMahon is a very uh, spontaneous kind of guy. And uh, sometimes uh, at the last minute, he would uh, he'd come up with uh, a really great idea that none of us were prepared for. And so uh, we, we needed to uh, uh, work uh, especially hard to uh, bring it off so that uh, it, it made air and uh, it all worked. So, But it was great speaking with you again. I mean, it's been a long time uh, since uh, the bingo break, that's for sure. So. It sure has, and now you uh, you're still at it. You're still with um, now you're with MLW, and um, you know it's great to see you're doing it. But I hope that at some point you're going to be able to just relax a little, <laughs> just kick back in Connecticut, no. enjoy enjoy your, no, uh, your family. No, 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 yeah. no. no? Uh, as long as long as it's still fun, uh, that uh, the, the nature of of uh, this because at one time or another I've, I've I've done uh, a couple of decades of boxing, pro boxing work, uh, TV and uh, MMA uh, as well. Um, and the the uh, uh, the wrestling is uh, a special has a special place in my heart. I think having spent so many years doing it uh, with uh, with Vince uh, and. Uh, uh, it uh, it was uh, a never to be forgotten experience, Lord knows. So, 